YouTube video which I find really fascinating and the second that you agreed to do this I wanted to bring up and it's about the importance of chairs in movies and how the chair that's selected by like the set designer is uh, in- inherent to the character that sits in the chair um, and I'll put a link of that in the description for this. But one thing about your work is that you're you're obviously quite keen on your chairs and your props. So how do you go about like sourcing them and what's your thinking behind picking up what you get? Okay, that's that's a really good question. I mean, you're absolutely right. Uh, the the furniture and the the sets in a kind of wider sense are uh, are a, a big deal in the photography that I do. And I think as with virtually everybody that's doing photography or anything creative, you're working against budgets. And so while I I probably have a um, a dream shopping list of furniture and chairs I'd like to buy. It's um, in practice, it's, it's pretty random the way that I get them. So I look on eBay, on Gumtree, Facebook Marketplace, you know, jumble sales, any little shops that I happen to come across. And uh, that's where they come from. And I, and I hardly pay anything for them. Um, and I think what I'm what I'm trying to uh, evoke with this kind of use of furniture is, is firstly for the pictures to look original and, um, and stylish. If I can, if I can do that as well, something that maybe other people aren't doing. Um, but I think the, the images are sort of minimalist in many ways. They're, they're not uh, elaborate sets. And I think the, the, the pieces that are in the pictures can tell part of the story. And right. That's, I think that's the, the the kind of thinking behind it. I mean, there's there's um, so much to be to be added to to your images by doing that. I mean, I, I find uh, one of my my personal favorite things about your work is that there's a very deliberate color palette. It feels like to every photo that you do, like it doesn't. Okay, so this is a general critique of photography in uh, that I find is that it feels like a lot of decisions happened by chance for a lot of people. Whereas with you, I feel like I can almost understand the through thinking of every decision that's been made going into the photo. And I think the prop and the, the or the chair or the background section or the, the styling all goes into that. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, the, uh, before I do any shoot, the, the color scheme, the color schemes are planned out in advance. I, w- whenever I can, um, have input or make decisions about the wardrobe that's going to be in the shoot as well, then I always do that. And I think maybe that sounds like it's it's over-controlling, but it's... Um, uh, no, I do think about colour extremely carefully. And I, um, you know, I'm thinking about whether I want a warm palette or, um, or a cooler palette or how, how those decisions uh, might relate to the personality of the person that I'm photographing. Um, in the edits... I um, am obsessed by color and I have various um, kind of systems and tools that I use to um, to get that right. But it's uh, lots of that is practically linked to the kind of backdrops I have and the furniture that I have. But it you're absolutely right. It is a it is an important decision. And I like to have as much control of that in the nicest possible way as I can. Well, it's it's definitely working for you, I think. There's, there's everything about the way that your work's laid out, even down to like the way your Instagram is set out, feels very deliberate. And 
very stylized and very specific. It's it's something that I think is underappreciated. Photography is a very strange medium because especially if you go the university route or if you go the camera club route, it's very try this thing, then try this thing, then try this thing. And I think it teaches people to not have a style because they're always just trying the next thing. Whereas if you want to sort of move through the gears quite quickly, I think you'd want to focus in quite heavily on one or two real parts of your your work that are going to move you forward and focus you in quite quickly. So w- when it comes to your model selection, like who, you, who you're working with and, and how you're going to sort of utilise that model, is that as planned out as sort of your color scheming and your your sourcing of props and setups and stuff yeah i think so i the um, most of the models that i work with are people who come and model for the workshops that i that i run and the there's uh, a, a number of decisions that i guess i have to make to um to do that i mean first and foremost i want to work with people who who i know to be um good to work with and easy to work with being purely practical um, but I also want to work with people who are interesting, who who look interesting, who um, who I feel are stylish, um, and who eventually I feel um, will help me and the people that attend my events produce uh, produce good pictures. And yeah. that's that's purely what it is. Um, so yeah, I work there. There are plenty of people that I work with regularly. Um, you know, some people that I work with less, and that and again much of it is practical it's people who can get to me relatively easily or people that I, that happen to be on tour um but i do uh, for the for the style of work that i produce um i don't even know how how you kind of say it but i want the pictures to look classy as well yep. uh, and stylish and so i do i do think very carefully about um who who i'm booking yeah well it's it's um Okay, so how how much do you think that the do you think models have a style like in in terms of like a, almost like a genre, like different models can be strong in one style and maybe not in others, and they you know that they're great for one type of work but maybe look out of place in others. Yeah, I think. I mean, I certainly think that is true. I think um, maybe there's a a conception that models are a blank canvas. Um, Maybe that's true in some senses, but certainly for me, I think um, people do have a a certain style, and you can still be flexible within that. But I think I don't know who 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 said oh, it's probably a, a Coco Chanel quote or something about style being a kind of inbuilt thing. Um, but yeah, I think the people that I that, that I'm working with have a certain sense of style, regardless of the type of look that we're doing and i think that um that's reflected in the character of the pictures and you and i think in the degree that you can read into people's personalities or characters from the pictures you know uh, that's important to me as well okay so what's your studio set up like right so i'm uh i'm mr tiny studio my um i i work from home i've got to be honest that's quite ironic because you're about a foot and a half taller than me yeah (laughs) the um the studio is built onto the back of the house it's a converted large double garage um it's like a white box effectively and um 
you know, everything's in there and it's the, uh, the, the studio setup can I mean, I shoot with, uh, with Canon cameras for, for what that's worth. And the, um, all of the lighting that I use is, um, a kind of Elinchrom lighting with big octoboxes. And I'm, that's, that's what the, the, the setup is basically. I mean, I, I, I change the floors around. I change the, the backdrops around. Um, I've got absolutely bucket loads of furniture that so is that shoot to shoot that you're changing things around or is it you go through sort of seasons of preferring a different floor or no no i i i, I change the floors up in the shoots okay. so i use and i get lots of questions about about the flooring um which is really nerdy but um as you brought it up i mean i i have uh several vinyl floors that are in rolls which are about three by two meters so they're uh, sort of big enough to be to be fine in the shoots, but you can kind of roll them up and lean them lean them up against the walls. I've also got several um, kind of Persian rugs. I don't even know if they're real Persian rugs, but it's that kind of style. And again, you can layer them, and they uh, they add really lovely texture to the pictures. And so yeah, I change I change the floors up within the within the shoots. So I'm you know I'd be looking for three or four different uh, different sets and different looks. And the the floors do have a, you know, a, at least some uh, some significance in the way the pictures look. I would say I, I, again, I think it just speaks to the the sort of I don't know if this is a word, but the deliberacy of the way that you're doing things, like the the deliberate nature of how you're structuring the end product, is that it's down to the flooring is considered for the individual shot, as opposed to the haphazard way that quite a lot of like I used to be very haphazard with almost every aspect, like even down to um, lighting, which meant that my results were incredibly inconsistent to, to a crazy extent. And I think whilst it's probably not the most like sexy subject, I think being very planned out and being able to answer all of the whys of, of how a photo comes together actually is one of the most important parts of building yourself as a photographer. So who's, who is it that's, influenced you to the style that you're at now well it's i mean it's it's not going to be a very original response i'm afraid because the my my kind of photographic heroes are all the kind of biggest names so um you know i love the work of annie Leibovitz, of uh ruben afanador um chris knight uh in america uh lindsay adler's other half right exactly yeah yeah um, Mark Seliger, who's um, probably best known for his Vanity Fair Oscars portraits. There, you know, many, many, many others as well. But I, um, I sort of take my lead from, from from the biggest names, and not, you know, I think um, everything original in photography has probably been done or nearly all, always been done. And so, you, you know, there are many people that I take inspiration from. I'm not. Um, I'm not suggesting that I reinvent the wheel every time I do a shoot, but it's, um, yeah. So the, the, I mean, those are the, the, the people that I really sort of look up to and, you know, and, and, and in the work of those people, I mean, they're working on a much, much bigger scale, uh, than I am. They no doubt have sort of sig significant teams of people that are advising them on, you know, many aspects of what they do. Um, but the, the color work, the, the use of kind of different textures in the pictures, such as the, the kind of rugs and fabric drapes and cushions and, you know, all of that type of stuff, all of those things are considered by those big names as well. And so I kind of, uh, I would say I borrow freely from, 
from their styles. That's good inspiration though, right? That's, no. that's the way it works. You've got, you got to borrow freely. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, yeah, I mean, I think you're, you're absolutely right in that respect. You, you know, I, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't ever try and suggest that I'm doing something that absolutely nobody has done before. Well, to that point, um, there's an expression that, that we both used to be musicians, so that's good sort of down that route a little bit but there's an expression that i always used to get told when i was studying um audio engineering which was we're 100 years into electric music all the ideas aren't gone but most of the good ones are and i think that's really true like you might be able to do something original but sometimes to do something completely original you're doing something that there's a reason that no one's picked it up in a couple of centuries of photography or whatever there's a reason that it's been kind of avoided so whilst it might be different from what everyone else is doing that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be good I suppose. yeah i agree I, I think that i think doing something just because it's new is is not a good idea because it can be new and bad and i think um you know as we're talking about new and old i i certainly take my inspiration from uh, a lot of old visual visual art i mean not necessarily photography um you know all kinds of painting and sculpture um you know i i borrow freely from the ideas of um you know art from the 16th and 17th centuries um and i you know i think everybody stands on the shoulders of um of somebody good certainly anybody producing good work is standing on the shoulders of other people that have produced good work yeah you have a, to me, there's almost a Sue Bryce thing going on with your work. Is that something you've heard before? Or? Well, um, I mean, no one's ever sort of really compared compared me directly uh, to Sue Bryce, but it's, it's very flattering that you say that. Uh, I mean, I absolutely love her work. She, um, I think one of the, the, the really important things that she does is um, kind of empowering women in her photography, especially... Um, I was going to use the phrase "ordinary women." Um, um, no, I know what you mean. And um, what I mean yeah. by that is non non professional women performers, if you like. So, you know, women that uh, w- would otherwise not have any particular uh, relationship to photography or modelling or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and she, I mean, I haven't met her personally. I haven't seen her in action personally, but I've seen plenty of her, her online stuff. And uh, one thing that she is amazing at and that I certainly uh, borrow freely from her is her knowledge of kind of posing and uh, body shapes and particularly um, helping people to look good in photos, you know, whatever their body shape. Yeah. And I think that's a tremendously... And she's great with hands. Absolutely. It's a really underappreciated part of of the involvement of posing is, is, the, is how, what the hands are doing. Because the hand, like, no matter how relaxed or well beautiful someone can look in a photo, if the hands look awkward, I think we read into that really quickly, and it kind of it skews the the feeling of the image. It's, it's absolutely right. I mean, what I think, whatever the the branch of photography you're doing, people, I think probably most people feel slightly awkward having their picture taken, and awkwardness and anxiety are um, unconsciously shown in in hand hand position, whether it's hands in pockets or hands you know, hands directly in front of you or, you know, whatever it might be. And, um, and I think, I think I've remembered it correctly that, um, that the, uh, the mentor from whom Sue worked when she was starting out in photography, um, said you can always tell a professional photographer by the way that people's hands look in the picture. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think, 
you know, we, we talked about shooting weddings uh, before we uh, before we started recording. And I and when I do wedding photography, one of the things that I'm super conscious of is where people's hands are in the groups to, yeah. you know, to make sure people aren't holding something in their hand, which is going to look silly in the picture, such as their phone or, yeah. you know. Phones. Whatever it might be. Yeah. Um, but no, hand hand position is uh is incredibly important. It's one of those really nerdy aspects of posing that um I mean I find it quite interesting to be honest. Yeah. But if you look um if you if you go to the you know the National Gallery in London and wander around the uh the, the portrait galleries, you can look at what people's hands are doing in those pictures and you know learn a tremendous amount from them, how they um you know how they illustrate power play, for example, yeah. or you can you know, tell a lot of mood with with hands. Absolutely, you've got almost like the the old school example of the Kuleshov effect, which is like you can show someone completely expressionless looking at the camera, and then cut to war, and it infers the idea that he is sad or concerned about war. But if you were to use the same shot of the person and cut to food, it would be like, oh, he's hungry. So that idea that like one part reflects the other, mm. I actually think hands are almost their own mood right. to, to an image. So the expression on the person's face can be one thing. Like you can have a very confident smile, but you can have nervous hands. And that almost tells you there's like a nervous excitement to the image or to the person's mood. I think it's just a really overlooked part because again, I think there's so much of, especially photographing people, it's a very, I find it a very bizarre genre. I've been doing it now for six years and I still constantly find myself confused by what people are choosing to do is that there's a lot of it that isn't like sexy in terms of like exciting or interesting. So a lot of people focus on gear and a lot of people focus on the shape of the person that they're photographing and then that's it. And I think that having, like you said, having that kind of nerdy interest in what someone's hands are doing and what that does to the image takes it from being like, oh, that's a nice photo and very that's a very pretty person. That's cool. To kind of the next level of you feel a connection to that person. It's the same with like acting in films, I guess. It's the little moments between the big moments that actually deliver you to the point that you say that is an amazing actor compared to that's a competent actor. Yeah, if that no, makes sense. Absolutely, and I think to to kind of follow on about what you were saying about hands and other kind of small things in the photo, um, if, if those small things are wrong, even though they're kind of ins insignificant in a in a sense, they can once you notice something is wrong, they can really draw attention away from what is supposed to be the main event. Yeah, um, and you know that's a that's a good example of why it's important to uh, to keep an eye on those small things, and I think with you know, sorry to keep going on about hands, but I think with um, with hand position, that's something um, that you learn to look out for as your experience grows in photography. It's, you know, first of all, you're going to be um, concerned about what somebody's face is doing or where you've put the light or, you know, which direction their body's pointed in. Um, and obviously that all becomes instinctive in time. And then you can start looking at the other things such as are they pointing a finger in a funny way, which you might not initially notice. Yeah. Um, it's like a calm review of images after you've shot a set or do you go like shot to shot and then are you, are you quite a slow shooter? Yeah, I am a slow shooter actually. I, um, in the studio, I always shoot tethered. So I, um, shoot into capture one and I, check after every single picture and 
that's, I don't know, no one's ever complained to me about that, I guess. I don't know whether it uh, secretly annoys the people that I'm photographing. It, it means I end up taking fewer pictures. So um, it means the, the culling is less, um, less painful at yeah. the end of the day. Um, but I, uh, I do shoot, shoot slowly and I do, you know, people talk about chimping during the shoots and checking everything out. I mean, yeah, that's something that I would agree to disagree on. Yeah. I think one of the, the the joys of digital photography and certainly one of the joys of um, of shooting tethered is that it gives you that opportunity to check everything as you go and not, you know, God forbid you get to the end of a shoot, realise you've been doing something wrong the entire way through, the client's gone um, and, you know, it, it prevents those kind of those kind of problems. Yeah, I think the the general idea around like chimping being a bad thing is something that needs to be kind of more environmentally contextualized. So if you're photographing dance, then it's obviously not a good idea to stop completely every couple of seconds and kind of break the mood and it doesn't let the person get a flow and so on. But if you're in a studio and you're doing quite calm posing and it's all about mood and like you say being very deliberate with every part of the pose then obviously it would make sense there's there's a whole part of photography that you might be able to help me out with here actually this constant recall to how you're not a real photographer unless you've shot film and if you take advantage of what digital is brilliant at you're not a real photographer. Like if you take advantage of that instant gratification, that instant ability to check on what you're doing, you're not a real photographer. If you take advantage of the fact that you can, maybe not to what you're saying now, but like the ability to take more shots. Um, something that I do a lot is I do a lot of stitched imaging. So I, I do a lot of imaging of people where I need 16 to sort of 24 photos to stitch together for the end product. And I've even been told, well, if it was on film, you wouldn't be able to do that. And I just, I find it very bizarre that we've, that, that, not we, because I'm definitely not one of these people, but there's this constant recall to specifically 35 millimeter film being something of like the, the absolute benchmark that we all have to always work to regardless of how advanced the tools we get are. It's just, it's a very bizarre setup to me. Yeah, that's right. It's, um, I mean, I'm very much of the, of, of the viewpoint that you should use the technology to do whatever it can do. And if that means you've got a, a screen on the back where you can check everything. If it means you can work in Photoshop and you can crop things out, uh, you know, if you can remove people's wrinkles, if that's what they want, if you can do all kinds of things that you couldn't do in film, um, that's fine. Go ahead and use those tools. I think there, I mean, there's certainly a, a, a discipline involved in shooting film. There's a discipline with, with getting things uh, as, as, as good in the camera as you can. Um, and practically speaking, that's going to save you time at the other end. But I think it's, um, yeah, I think it, to be honest, I find it patronizing when people say those kind of things, um, and people work in all kinds of ways. And I certainly wouldn't presume to turn around and tell somebody they had to shoot this way or that way or do things my way or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I think people should work whatever they, uh, the way that they enjoy, uh, most of all the way that they're getting the results that they want to get most of all. Uh, and what and what whatever works for them. I mean, if you're if you're trying to work in a way that someone's told you to, you just you know you you, you won't you won't do it at the end of the day. Yeah. Uh, and I think you know if you if you're shooting with a with an iPhone, go ahead and enjoy shooting with your iPhone. You know, if you're shooting w with whatever it is, just in, enjoy it and work in the way that uh, that works for you.
it's to me it's a very selective way of looking at idealism because if you're if you if you're so set on things being original i i actually had this on a on um uh, a bit of back and forth online with this just constant like this one gentleman was just constantly pointing out oh well you know if it wasn't for photoshop you wouldn't be a photographer essentially like there's no skill or merit to what you're doing with a camera because you use photoshop and that if you were shooting film you wouldn't have that option firstly it shows a complete misunderstanding of what you can do in a dark room but if you're as i responded to them after i got a little bit tired of the constant back and forth while i was trying to be for once in my life a little bit uh well mannered with my response to some idiot online I actually just said, well, if you're so set on everything being original, you need to piss off in a wagon in Utah and do everything on glass plate. Like, yeah. why is 35? It's like you ignore like 100 years almost of history. Then you go to 35 mil and that's apparently where we should have stopped. And then everything after that's wrong. It's a very, it's a very photo specific issue with this like cherry picking one particular point and saying that's when it was good. Yeah, it's. I mean, I know what you're saying, and I, I I do agree that it's bizarre. I mean, the thing that it, the scenario that you just described, kind of reminds me of people that, you know, they'll talk about things being not natural or not right, or you know, in in all kinds of um, uh, things to do with general life. And I kind of think, okay, well, you know, um, savings people's lives from cancer or heart surgery is not natural exactly at all and so you know we'd never we'd never say to some you know we'd never deny people medical treatment or you know whatever it might be call them a hipster and tell them that you know yeah and it's uh, uh, with the uh, with the, with the photoshop question um you know there there's a whole um almost a whole industry around talking about the the kind of ethics of of what you can do in Photoshop or what, what you should do. And at its most basic level, I kind of think, um, you know, all of those arguments are valid arguments, but what about wearing makeup, for yeah. example? You know, wearing makeup is is enhancing just in an analogue way. And and I don't think anybody ever criticised people for enhancing negatives in the darkroom, for dodging and burning, you know, analogue photographs. Um, you know, you use the tools that you've got at your disposal to to, to achieve an outcome uh, th that is desirable to you. Well, I think you're exactly on the point, which I'm finding, especially with photographing weddings, you get, obviously I don't apply a lot of makeup myself. Um, so I, I'm not really aware of the, the process or I wasn't aware of the, the much of the process involved and how things have changed over the years. But at the point that we're the most socially outraged by Photoshop, we're applying more makeup than we ever have before. Right. Do you, you know what I mean? Like we've now got makeup that's specifically designed to fake shadows on your face, specifically designed to fake highlights on your face. I've seen tutorials on how you can put makeup on your chest and make your chest look fuller. You can put makeup on your abs and make it look like you work out more often. That's not socially terrible, but it's socially terrible that you would be removing zits. It's it's again it's cherry picking morals a little bit. Yeah, I agree. Uh, I mean, all of this stuff is is smoke and mirrors at the end of the day. People um, people want to look nice. They want to look their best in their photos. And whether you do it with Photoshop or whether they're having makeup or whether they uh, have plastic surgery or whether they wear expensive clothing or whatever it might be, th those modifications, whether they're done in the digital realm or or in the analog realm, 
uh, people want that. I th- obviously, um, within Photoshop editing and so on, there are you know there are limits of of what I don't know whether you call it with whether what is right and wrong, whether what is tasteful or distasteful. Everybody has their own opinions about that. Um, well, let's go down that route a little bit then. So, as a photographer, and obviously quite a prolific and talented one, what do you do? You feel you have a social responsibility to project certain body types, or certain to for you to fight certain stereotypes, or in terms of your editing, do you feel like you are being given a social responsibility that perhaps you haven't taken on voluntarily, or do you feel like you you have one? That's a, that's a really uh, that's a really good and uh, and, and multi layered question. Um, I think my, my my general approach to editing is, and I think this is one that uh, you know many people go by. Um, when I'm removing things from people's pictures, um, I will remove blackheads or spots or th- yeah anything which probably wouldn't be there the next week. I certainly wouldn't ever remove people's moles or any other. Um, like a birthmark or anything like that, unless unless a client asked me to, of course. Um, I, I think there is a role to play in, um, in in body image with people. And I would be, I'd certainly be the last person to, to try and promote any particular uh, body type over another. As the, the father of three girls, I, I'm... Uh, intensely aware of how um, body image is, is a factor in, in everybody's life, but particularly in the, in the lives of women and girls. Um, and so I, yeah, I mean, I, I, I try to keep the pictures as natural looking as I can. I, I will use Liquify here and there if asked. I mean, to be honest with you, with Liquify, which I, I think is uh, Photoshop's one of Photoshop's most controversial tools. The thing that I most use it for is making people's hair look bigger. Right. So, and I think, <laughs> I, and I think increased hair volume is something <clears throat> that nobody could jump up and down about and and say is. A, oh, it's it, twenty nineteen. Give it time. <laughs> Give it time. Someone will find a way. So you have you have three girls. Three yes. Girls. Uh, how old? So they're fifteen, twenty five, and thirty. Amazing. So how do they feel about what you do? Well, I think uh, I think they're interested in and uh, and enjoy what I do. I mean, I photographed all of them prolifically over the years, especially the youngest one. Um, the uh, my, my my youngest daughter shares many of my uh, my kind of interests, including in photography, and so she, you know, she 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 will get into it a little bit more, and she does a little bit of modelling. Um, most of the people that I shoot are women. Um, I'd I'd love to be shooting more men, so get in touch. Um, <laughs> but they, I mean, I, all of the, all of the photography that I shoot is, um, I always have at the back of my mind, actually, as you, as you brought up my, um, my girls, would I be, would I be happy if somebody else photographed my, my kid in this way? Yeah. And so I always, um, and there'll be people that can relate to that and other people that think I'm being a, an old fuddy duddy, but, um, I do always like to, uh, to keep it classy, to keep things natural. I, um, I mean, I photograph lots of children as well. Um, and I think you, if you, if you want to have a, 
uh, at least some aspect of your career, which is to do with photographing children, you you have to be careful about the other the other types of photography that you you get into. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with what anybody wants to shoot, um, but most people will find the link not particularly yeah i think if, yeah i think if you you know if you photograph girls in their underwear or or, or you know topless or whatever it might be you know the mums of the 12 year old clients that you might have will not yeah. probably be so interested in well it feeds into the stereotypes as well right yeah of course Unfortunately. of course so when it comes to um uh putting together a portfolio like yours like yours how deliberate was sort of the long game so are you going shoot to shoot without a relationship between sort of this model's images and the last model's images? Or are you trying to sort of make a series almost out of what you're doing? Yeah, good question. I um, the uh, my, my current portfolio website is, a, is, a, is laid out in a very definite style. So it has five main kind of galleries and each of those galleries... Um, has a particular kind of look. And the idea of that is, I mean, it, I, I guess twofold. It, it shows people what I'm doing at the moment. So I do I, I do keep it up to date. And, um, you know, I, I, I hope it would also demonstrate there is a, a kind of consistency in my work and a, a thought to the kind of overall output. Now, the, the point that you've raised about um, uh, a kind of, uh, sort of series or continuity in the work is something that I'm that I'm trying to sort of pursue more um, in various I mean various projects. I mean I have a I, I'm doing fine art photography gallery type stuff. I had a quite by chance last year I had a portrait in um, in the Royal Academy of Arts summer exhibition, wow. which was which was very unexpected, and I I only submitted the picture because the academy had sent out a call for photography. In the exhibition so i thought okay well you know i'll send something in um and it was chosen and so there was interest in producing more kind of fi you know fine art style work which is something that i've been working on over the um over the past year um so i do have a series of um work in that style it, it's not uh it's not in the public domain because it will be uh, it will be gallery actual gallery stuff hanging in galleries um, but all of that work is based on um, uh, 17th and 18th century portraiture, or it takes its lead from 17th and 18th century portraiture, Flemish and uh, and Dutch portraits, which which other people are doing as well. But I think I've um, I think I've made it my own in a in a sense. So working on uh, you know conscious series there, and also um, I have another series that is. Uh, is coming up it's um it's more of a it, it's editorial it's to do with women news readers and news journalists who have covered the um and I'm, I'm not even sure how i've managed to squeeze brexit into this talk but the, but, <laughs> someone always does <laughs> but but um most of the journalists or certainly many of the journalists that have been that uh, that have been at the at the cutting edge of um you know reporting on brexit have been women which is um i don't know statistically whether it's how 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 that kind of lies but it seems to me that that, that more women than men have been at the bleeding edge of uh, of the the kind of hard news to do with brexit and so i'm photographing um uh, a number of the the sort of 
A-list women news journalists for, for a series. Now, I'm not sure where it's going to hang or be published yet, but that is, uh, that's lined up for the second half of this year. And it's, um, yeah, it's to do with, uh, with continuity in the work and having, I think individual pictures are really nice, of course, but if you can produce a, like a body of work. It's a different um, feeling, right? Yeah. It's a different feeling entirely. Yeah. Because sometimes when you have uh, one image or one set, it just, I suppose if you're very self-critical, you can almost feel like it's a fluke yourself. Yeah. No matter how much you know that you put into it. So the the ability to kind of not recreate, but to evolve on that and improve on that is, that's a really good feeling. I, I think it's an underestimated feeling. Yeah. I mean, I think, I, I think uh, images work, work great in sets. And I'm a fan of um, uh, the photo book. Not that I've um, made anything like that myself. But it's uh, it's one of my favourite ways to to consume photography. I mean, I love Instagram and all of the the kind of online platforms. Um, but I and maybe this is a controversial thing to say, but I I don't find them on the whole to be the best places to find super talented um, photography. So it's the I mean, it's the nature of of what it is. It's a it's a new medium, and that's going to attract younger people does two things one you've got people that are less experienced which means they haven't got to a point where their inspiration is coming through properly in their work and technically they're not entirely there and maybe they're not sure what their voice is and they're still finding what they want to do and the other side of it in my opinion is that there's a lot of trend chasing a lot of people who I mean, what was it last year? Like late last year was just everything was just girl with sunglasses, neon lights. Yeah. That was every portrait that existed in the world. And it's just that I actually think is one of the biggest downsides of Instagram on top of the fact that I think it has skewed the, uh, the model photographer relationship quite a bit. I think it's, it's turned the photographer into a, into a, piece of furniture mm. um but i think that the trend chasing and the the metric of well my photo must be good because lots of people liked it means that people think oh, well that one got lots of likes so i'll do what they did and, and it waters down the quality of anything quite significantly yeah i think yeah i mean i think all of, all of those points are, are absolutely right and i think the thing i mean instagram is the platform the social platform that i've chosen to put the most effort into i mean i'm on pretty much all of them but Instagram is the is the one that I spend the most time trying to do well at um and I think you you know the very nature of it means that you're constantly filtering um you, you're trying to filter out the good from the bad um and it you know it's it, it, it's okay but I think if you if you're looking for true inspiration I would say I think books are that's where you find it most I mean the the whole sort of process that goes into um conventional publication and i mean that as opposed to self-publication you know there there are high editorial standards uh, in all aspects of the work and i think you can i mean you know it'd be wrong of me to say that um there isn't loads of good photography on social media but it's so time consuming finding it at times and i think you know absolutely everything that exists is, is on the internet now and you can um, on YouTube, you can you can probably learn how to do absolutely everything, but we, you know, we we have limited time 
And um, it was like 300 million hours of, of video posted like a day or something crazy. It's yeah. just, and you, ju- yeah. And so it's, it's inconsumable. You, yeah. And if, you know, if we all had um, limitless lives, then fine. It would be great to, to, <laughs> to peruse YouTube and, and, and find tons of good stuff. But um, I think in the real world, there has to be sort of editorial stuff happening yes. so that you can find what you're looking for. And that's why I love uh, photo books. I, I do think one of the problems we have, and it's it's not related to just photography, it's related to pretty much every medium of every media, is that the second something new comes along, we immediately discard the old. And then it comes back. Because something being new just means that it's different. It, there can be huge improvements. You know, the jump from what we have now, where you can just have a song instantly on your phone, to vinyl is a huge jump in convenience and it's in in many other ways, but there are still people that like vinyl. Vinyl had a resurgence because it's not necessarily about just always improving something's convenience. Sometimes there's actually an enjoyment to the medium that I don't think people consider when it comes to just replacing the the old with the new. Um, I don't want to turn this into too much because this is, this is all fantastically interesting. I definitely don't want this to be, um, political at all because this is just so interesting but one thing i'm finding a lot lately is that there's almost um a political point to everything someone's got to find a way to politicize everything when it comes to instagram's really really bad for it as well i think especially i follow a lot of american models and photographers and i find that everything has to be politicized so here's an image of you know model whatever, like a fashion image, but then there's a politicised point to the caption or whatever. What, what do you think of the the politicisation around photography? Yeah, um, it, it, it is a very real thing. Um, there, I, I think on the one hand, there is a lot to be said for um, images which, which, which are technically capable, which uh, are, are interesting, and they're... they're there is absolutely nothing wrong with a picture just being nice at face value. Um, I think it's there is also nothing wrong with um, a picture having a message, uh, absolutely, whether that's a political message or something else. Um, I think I think what you're referring to is pictures that that have a, a kind of pseudo message. So right. they're they're just a, a kind of ordinary picture where somebody has uh, slapped on a, a caption, which it. I, it's, it's supposed to sort of mean something, but maybe it's kind of facile. Yeah, I mean, I find that annoying. Um, but I think it, I think that feeds into the, I mean, I, again, w- without getting too deeply into uh, into politics, otherwise you'll never shut me up. Um, <laughs> the, you know, politics, um, you know, in the in the Western world, you know, certainly in the UK and in uh, in America has become hugely sort of polarised in in two clear directions, or I don't know whether it's two directions. It's literally two directions. But it's, 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 it's become so one-dimensional. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's highly polarised. And I think people just, um, you know, that's that's what uh, that that's what the, this, what, what your question is feeding into, I think. Um, it's, I, I don't get into it myself. I think once you start, um, if you're... If your work is not overtly political to start with, I think if you start introducing that element, it can um, it can turn people off. Yeah, exactly. I um, think it's something that what's underestimated now, and not just with photography, but with any aspect of social media, is that 
there are people that work very, very hard and have situational parts of their lives that are very stressful and difficult. So you might have people that have disabled kids or they're a carer or they're a nurse or their job is particularly stressful. They're going through a tough time with an ill relative or whatever. Everyone's got a story of something going on. And to have everything else have this huge weight added to it, everything trivial has got this political weight at a time when if you're not with us, then we'll punch you in the face. Or if you're with them, we'll punch you in the face. Or if you're this kind of person, that means you're this kind of person. And if that, then this. I don't think people realise how much that switches people off to you in like huge droves. And there is, it's very hard numbers to, to prove that because the majority of the photographic Instagram world is girls in their pants. Right. And it's shocking to find that the majority of people that are apparently very influential on social media are girls in their pants. It's very surprising that they've got huge numbers of likes. It must be for reasons that are so hard to fathom (laughs) why they're popular. I just, I find it's very... It's a very sad time that we can't just, like you say, you can't have an image that's perfectly enjoyable in its own right and it doesn't have to carry some huge message. And now people feel the need to like tack on a message for the sake of, I I really don't know really what's happening with society. I think I'm just going to move on because (laughs) I think we both probably end up going down a whole channel. So you're a cannon shooter. Let's go down that route. Yeah. So So, what what are you working with? So my, my daily driver is a, is a 5D Mark III. So it's, um, it's kind of long in the tooth, I guess, in, in digital terms, it's not as long in the tooth as the other camera I use in the studio, which is a 5D classic. Right, which I absolutely love. I the mean, the best sounding shutter in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Oh God, it's so nice. <laughs> I mean, they, you know, the 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 old five D. I think it. I'm just trying to remember what year it came out in. Maybe 2005, if I remember correctly. Um, you know, it's it's not a versatile camera by any means. Um, it's you know, it's terrible in low light. Um, it focuses slowly. The LED screen is absolutely appalling, you know, so on and so on. But the things that it does well are um, are absolutely incredible. And I think that the pictures, you know, I use it in the studio literally all the time. And the the main reason that I use it is so that I don't have to change lenses all the time on the Mark III. And that's a a really sort of lazy reason to <laughs> <laughs> to, to come up with. But um, in a in a in a controlled studio environment where all of its shortcomings are not shown up. Um, it produces incredible pictures. Um, and I think, you know, one thing that I read again and again and that I uh, that is kind of borne out in the pictures that I shoot with this old camera is that Canon got skin tone right with the old 5D and it hasn't really been improved on since. Right. That's my, you know, that, that that's how I feel about it. I mean, with the Mark III, again, it's got uh, shortcomings like every other camera. I certainly wouldn't upgrade it to a Mark IV. Uh, for for studio work and it's um you know everything is is shot with those two cameras and probably 90% of my pictures are shot with a 50 millimeter lens right i don't um yeah, which one know, in particular it's the 1.2l right so it's a, it, it's a lovely lens i shoot um i shoot it at f8 mostly or f9 yep. which which isn't even taking it, it's kind of magical super wide aperture and, you know, working with that. Um, 
but it's fine. I mean, there are other, I mean, there are other lenses that do the same job for, for less money, but yeah. it's, <laughs> but it's, um, you know, almost everything I shoot is with that. And the reason that I, or the, the practical reason that I shoot with it is that I, I favor full length photos most of all. And that's where me and you are hugely different. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm allergic to full length photos. Right. And it's so, it's so, like you could imagine conversations between photographers where one guy shoots Nikon, one guy shoots Canon, and that being the weird, because no one cares, it's a brand, yeah. but that being the thing that people butt heads over or you shoot this style, I shoot that style. But it's so funny. It is honestly one of the things that when I first started uh, following your work, you are one of the few photographers that I think shoots full length and it doesn't annoy me. Because <laughs> my my main problem with full length is that it creates a lot of extra real estate within the frame yeah. that isn't utilised most of the time, almost all of the time. And you're someone with the way that you design your images with the the you know the props and the chairs and the backgrounds and the flooring and whatnot that I don't feel like it at all affects the image. In fact, it's it's a real positive because it creates like space and airiness and it feels like a set. It feels like a, almost a movie shot or the, the actual thing you brought up earlier, which I didn't think about, but is exactly where I would put your work is like the Vanity Fair Oscars shoot. It's in, in that direction. Well, that's very kind. Um, <laughs> I'll take that. But I'm absolutely allergic to full length. Right. It drives me mad when I photograph it yeah. and when I see most people photograph it. But you are someone that can do it. Well, I tell you why I like it so much. It's that it gives um, it gives an opportunity for interesting body shapes, basically. I mean, not crazy pretzel posing or whatever <laughs> they call it. But, um, it's you know, one of the nice things about it is that you can, you know, m- most people have four limbs. Yeah. You, you can do something that that, that is pleasing shape wise with uh, with two hands and two legs. Uh, it, it means that the furniture gets its um, its moment in the spotlight when the furniture's nice. Uh, I get the impression that when you're doing a shoot, you're a little bit more keen on the furniture than the model. I can neither confirm nor deny that. <laughs> um, it's I mean I it it, it is a kind of fun thing. Um, so yeah, I mean. C- as we were talking about Instagram uh, a few minutes ago, one thing that's kind of of interest, I guess, as we're talking about this, is that the pictures that I pose a post which are not full length are always more popular on Instagram than the ones which are full length. Right. And so I don't, um, you know, I don't really shoot with that intent, or I try not to shoot with that intent. Um, but yeah, the the, the closer up pictures always do better on social than the, the full length ones. I think it's just ones. the medium, right? It's on a phone. That yeah. means they feel like they're closer to the person. I think that's probably true. And I do, um, shooting shooting full length is a is a kind of default thing for me. And I do, uh, I do make an effort to shoot other crops as well. I mean, one of the, one of the things that makes me a, a tiny bit lazy about it is that I always shoot with, I mean, just prime lenses. I don't have any, I mean, I do have a zoom lens. I have a 7200, which I use for weddings, but in the studio, just primes. And, um, which means that I, you know, I literally have to move myself to, to get a different crop. And I do, uh, I do make the effort to do that. I would probably be shooting other crops if I use the zoom lens as well. Um, but that's, you know, I'm, I'm entirely a prime shooter, but I have a, uh, 24 70 F4, which the reason I have the F4 and not the 2.8 is because I needed to stop myself from shooting certain things wide open. Um, and I, 
especially with weddings, especially when you're dealing with low light and stuff, sometimes you can really fall into the habit of always shooting wide open. Yeah. And by having that that F4, I was just almost... Uh, it's almost like, the, I think it's the Chinese army, they put the pins in the collar so they can't drop their head. I yeah. almost had to do that for, for my own safety at a wedding. Yeah, it's. I, I think they're... I, I hardly shoot anything with sh- with a shallow depth of field. I right. do. I mean, when, when I'm shooting natural light, then yes. And, you know, w- with weddings, I think you want to kind of get that look. We, I mean, I think that's what, what, what clients want at the end of the day. But with shooting wide open, it's, um, I think one of the things that's turned me against it is that if you look on social media groups, uh, which are uh, communities for photographers, it's just that absolutely everybody does it. Yep. And I think one, I think when you, you know, when people get a DSLR and a, and a, uh, you know, a 50 mil 1.8 or whatever that will go wide open, it's so different to shooting on a, you know, a point and shoot or a bridge camera it's or a, a phone. professional photo then. Yeah. And so that's what everybody's doing. <laughs> yeah. And well, they've got um, that in the phones now, right? You yeah. Can now fake that in the phones. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's, um, there's sort of, the snob in me is thinking, okay, well, I don't want my work to look like everybody else's, so I'm going to shoot. I'm going to shoot at F8 or F9 or F10 or whatever it might be. And um, and when I look at the, I mean, some of the photography that, that I admire the most in, you know, published photography in Vogue magazine and in Vanity Fair and GQ, all of the pictures that are in those lovely publications are all shot at um, not at shallow depth, at shallow depths of field. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I don't know. That's, that, that's just my thoughts. It's on almost that. like a self-fulfilling prophecy. If like you say, and I absolutely agree with you, everyone that buys a DSLR or, you know, whatever mirrorless is, it's knocking about, they buy the 50 millimeter equivalent, the 1.8, they stick it at 1.8 and they shoot like that. And that has gone from being the hallmark of using something that's a real camera as opposed to like the old school point and shoots mm. or the disposables or now a phone to now being, oh, that person just got their first DSLR and they've bought a 50mm 1.8 and they're shooting it wide open. Yeah, It becomes quite, it's become, it's almost eating itself alive. Mm. It's a snake that's eating its own tail kind of thing. Um, so... You're someone that seems inherently, and I apologize for the language, but there's only one way I can say this, like you've really got your shit together when it comes to your portfolio. Like it just feels like you've really got a very concise, clear idea of what you're doing. Um, do you experience many bad shoots? Do you have many off days, either yourself or the actual shoot just doesn't go to plan? No, not really. And I don't mean that in a a kind of arrogant way at all. I mean, you know, occasionally things... Um, Things aren't the your most favourite outcome in a shoot, but it's. Um, I think you can avoid bad shoots by planning, um, um, you know, which is what I do. And so, you know, there are always some uh, the outcomes of some shoots that I prefer to others, and that's. I'm sure absolutely everybody um, is in that same situation. I mean, I uh, no, I don't have any sort of absolute turkeys, thankfully. Right. Um, I mean, I like them all really, and some I like more than others. Maybe that's the best way of um, yeah. doing it. How long have you been photographing now? Well, I've been I've been photographing full time for four years. Okay. So, um, you Christ, know, I, that's impressive. I mean, I did it as a as a sort of side hustle for a little bit, and you know, as a hobby for for, for years before that. Um, but yeah, full, uh, full time hammer and tongs, four years. And what was it that drew you to the camera? Hmm. That is a very good question. And I, 
you know, I don't even know. I think with, um, you know, in the beginning, it was just the real kind of banal stuff, uh, the joy at seeing nice pictures, which I, um, you know, if you flick through the pages of a magazine uh, and just enjoy looking at the pictures, it's, that's what it is. And I, and I thought, okay, well, I wonder if I could do that. And I think with photography, you know, uh, lots of people will say the same thing. It's quite a good um, union of creative and technical stuff, both yeah. of which, um, you know, I, there is a, a kind of nerd inside me as well as the creative. Yep. And so it, it sort of satisfies that, um, that, that dichotomy or that balance or whatever. So when you look at the landscape, obviously four years is a decent amount of time for what I think has been quite a huge transition in the sort of landscape of models. Um, in England, I can't speak for anywhere else in the world, but in England, I think the massive rise of Instagram, um, the massive, I, I don't know how to describe the shifting acceptability of what people post. I think, you know, five years ago, if, if daughters or sisters were posting some pictures that they've taken themselves that are being posted now, I think family members wouldn't be as supportive as they probably are now. Right. Um, I don't really know how to say that more no, politically correctly. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the threshold to call yourself a model has never been lower. Right. Whether or not that's a good thing, that's actually a fact because you can write, I am a model on a place where most people are posting model photos and that's it. It's just an accepted fact. There's, um, I have a, a real hatred for one particular phrase, which is internationally published because I just don't think it means anything. Yeah. Because if, if you were internationally published, it's like, I, I can't imagine someone writing one, a formula one race. Right. You know, if you did something amazing, I'm sure there should be more detail. Mm. Um, that side of things has always bugged me. But the threshold's never been lower. And I'm happy to be wrong here. I also think the standards have never been lower. Mm. In the time that I've been doing it, I've been photographing for about six and a half years. And I don't think the standards have been lower in terms of what's out there and available in terms of who is modelling which is probably down to just dilution more than anything. It's just so many people doing it that it's hard to find a new one that's really honed their craft, let's say. Um, and then the other side of it, which I'm really making sure I don't tread on too many eggshells here, uh, is that the attitudes are quite skewed. There's quite a lot of what appears to be, and I might be wrong, but uh, entitlement that being a model somehow entitles you to a certain, uh, re uh, not respect, but almost you should be in awe of people because they call themselves a model. It's a very bizarre situation for me. Uh, are you finding it easy at the moment to find high quality models for your work or are you finding it hard and you're kind of returning to the same people? No, I think, well, I think, I mean, I, I agree with what you're saying. There's a very... Um there's a very broad spectrum of of people's talent. I think that's effectively what it is, isn't it? I mean, there are, I think in any um, creative business, there are going to be people that are at the very top of their game. There'll be, you know, people in the swimming with the rest of the crowd and then some people um, at the tail end. I think that's, you'll, you'll probably find that in everything. Um, 
I mean, the, the the people that I work with for the um, the events that I'm doing are they're primarily people that are, that I've got on recommendation actually. Um, so I'm you know I'm I'm really happy with the, with the people that I work with in, in that sense. I mean, I get lots of um, messages from from people effectively asking me to photograph them. I think the the kind of implication is, can you do it for nothing? Um, and the answer to that is usually no. Um, but I know what you mean. I think the I think the 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 attraction of um, kind of models or individuals on Instagram is that I I mean my my personal view is that they do better on social media than photographers do. Yeah. And I think the reason for that is that people really, they want to, to follow the progress or the journey or the life of an individual. And that's more interesting in many senses than following the, the kind of work of another individual, you know, photographer or filmmaker or creator or whatever they might be. Yeah. Um, I think it's easier when you, you know, if you're interested in one person, it's much, it's easier if you see pictures of them, of their face, of what they're doing every day. Uh, and I think people are kind of drawn into that. And obviously that, um, you know, the kind of imagery that those people are producing fo will follow a range of different directions. Some of it, uh, some, you know, uh, some of it, which, 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 which I don't like, uh, you know, but who am I to judge? And, you know, some of it, which, which, which is great. Um, I, but I, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I'm careful and choosy with who I work with. Yeah. And so the people that I do work with, I've, you know, I've always been happy, you, you know, with those people that's, you know, I can't really, um, speak to, uh, you know, other, other people who, you know, are doing whatever they're doing. Yeah. Um, but I know what you mean. There is a kind of tail end and there is sort of tacky stuff. And, um, at the end of the day, people can call themselves whatever they like. You know, somebody can call themselves a musician, um, and that's whether they pay, play a, you know, a pair of spoons or whether they've, um, <laughs> you know, whether they're, they're the lead singer in a rock band or whether they're a concert pianist or whatever it might be. And it's the same with, with modeling and photography. You, people can call themselves whatever they're like. Um, but uh, you know, if you're producing good work, you know, you will get noticed if you keep hammering away at it. Yeah. I, I, my, my main issue is I think, I think about it the same way as if like you looked for a doctor on a high street, if you go to a busy high street on a Saturday and you stood in the middle of the huge crowd of people and you shout out, is anyone here a doctor? And if the threshold for saying that you're a doctor is to just say, I'm a doctor, I wouldn't be too keen on getting medical treatment from the vast majority of people that then responded. And it would be very hard to find the one person in that that's actually really doctor. working hard to hone that craft and is an actual doctor. Yeah. That's, that's, it's not so much about like, it's not that I want to pick on people that are just starting out, but it's the fact that I almost feel like there's a, it took me a long time to call myself a photographer. And I think people are very quick to just say, okay, well, I've decided that I'm now this thing. And then that's it. They, they, they just decide that they are that thing. And I think it just waters down the craft. And I think it, it almost demeans the hard work that a lot of people have put in to become very good at something. And I've worked with models that are absolutely fantastic and completely underappreciated. Mm. And I've worked with other models that I've been told so many times to work with, oh, they're so amazing. They're so brilliant, especially when I was younger and naive and um, following more of, of what people were telling me as opposed to kind of objectively looking at what was going on. And, um, and they've been terrible but they're very much liked social media wise or on their shoots because either they have a personality that is very, um, 
favorable with certain types of photographers or they have a social media that's very favorable with certain types of people that want to double click on certain types of images. Um, how much does, because it's a customer service industry almost being a model, right? Because it's a weird one because you have to, if if you're a fantastic looking person with lots of talent, but you are absolutely impossible to work with, with your attitude, that changes the dynamic completely, mm. right? So how much do you sort of, if you were to put a percentage like, you know, half and half, you've got on the one side, their sort of their talent and their looks and on the other side, their um, attitude and their, you know, their agreeability, I guess, and the, the ability for you to work with them in a kind of cordial sense. What, where's, where's the importance for you? Is it like 50-50 or? Yeah, that's, that's, that's an interesting question. I mean, I think it would be 50-50. I think it's, um, yeah, I mean, st- straight down the middle for me. I think if you, you know, if you photograph somebody who kind of looks interesting and you think they're stylish or they think they're stylish or whatever it might be, and they're a complete nightmare to work with, then that, you know, that's pretty grim. And I think you, you, my uh, my experience with working with models is... is um, it is for it is for workshops and training a lot of the time, and so it's it's very important that the you know the people that that model for those events are people that are going to click well with the the people that pay to come and do those. Um, so I think I mean uh, that is super important. And to be honest with you, I, I you know I've never I've never had a bad experience. I've been lucky, you know. That is insanely it, lucky. It, it may it may happen, but I've. You can have um, some of mine if you want. That'd be great. Uh, I mean, to, to be honest with you, the. I, I think a good, um, a good marker is is how much people charge. Oh yeah. To, to model, and um, so I book people that charge a kind of good whack. Yeah. And that, so far, has. Um, has worked out well for me. So I haven't, um, you know, I haven't gone the route of trying to to book people who are cheap because I assume they are cheap because they're not really very good at it yet. Yep. Yeah. And, and so, I, you know, I, I, I work with established people that are charging a rate which goes with their experience and their talent and, and everything else. And are you looking through like a variety of their their own portfolio with different photographers and kind of seeing how they've, worked in different genres or are you are you watching kind of um like they're posing image to image how are you how are you sort of selecting yeah it's both of that it's both of those things but it's um it's mostly on recommendation so i started when i when i started uh you know running those events i the, the first person that i that i booked to do that was somebody who lives uh you know who lives close to me she's a she's a very um well established name in the modeling industry and she's very very good and she was amazing um and i took advice from her on who i could book next and then i booked the next person and they were good and i uh, i then you know chatted to them about who they thought might be good for this and you know they came up with a few more names and that's really how how i've done it um and i think i i think in in creative um so much so much comes from personal recommendation that that uh, that's worked for me so right. far in working with models. So what compelled you to do the workshops then? Well, it's, I mean, f- photography can be quite solitary. Um, yeah. if you're, if you're only doing client work and, um, you know, I don't really like being lonely <laughs> if I'm perfectly honest. And so doing the, um, doing the events, 
is a nice way of meeting people in in kind of practical and financial terms as well. There, um, you know, I think a phenomenon of modern life is that people, uh, or certainly some people, don't really want to kind of buy things with their money, uh, particularly, you know, particularly if they're you know, in their thirties, forties, fifties or whatever, they want to kind of do things. Yeah. So there's a, that's a really good point. There. And, and so it's, yeah, I think they call it the experience economy, don't they? Yeah. And so people, yeah, I think the people that come to my events are, um, probably a third professional photographers and two thirds, um, amateur photographers who, who know what they're doing. Right. And, um, and so it's, it's providing a service for those people that want to, they want to come and spend the day doing, um, a specific aspect of photography and the, and so far the, the workshops are focused on, uh, you know, a fairly kind of narrow style. So people know what they're going to get. Yeah. Um, the, the lighting and the editing styles are, um, are quite particular to get that kind of look. And so they know they're going to learn a, a particular thing. Well, you, again, you have that, that very concise portfolio. So people aren't going to be coming in and thinking, well, oh, I wonder what we're going to get out of today. I wonder, you know, yeah, that's right. I mean, I do do a range of photography, um, you know, various other, you know, I, I, like like other working photographers, I do, you know, a few different things to keep all the plates spinning. Um, but the, you know, the, the the stuff that goes out on my social channels is the stuff that I want people to to kind of know me for. So I don't, you know, when I do a, um, you know, an architectural job for somebody or, uh, you know, if I'm doing product photography, that's absolutely fine. And I enjoy doing that. And, and I... You know, I enjoy getting paid for for doing those jobs, of course. Um, but I, the the work that I want to get more of, um, and that I like to be known for, is the stuff that I I sort of put out there. Yeah. So it's, I mean, I think that's a uh, a sort of sensible, um, a sensible way of thinking about what you want people to find you for. Yeah. So, I, I, again, to your point about the sort of having the very sort of narrow styling to the way that, or the, the narrow style to the way that days can unfold and the, the images that people are going to get. I think people conflate having a style with lack of adventure sometimes. Mm. And it goes back to that camera club mentality of you've got to try everything like several times and yeah. you, you go and you try this style and then you go over to that style mm. and then you try this and you try that genre and so on. And I think that, uh, especially like you say with this being caught sort of like um people are doing things with their money rather than buying th- buying objects it's really cool to see people actually take an interest in i want to learn how to do that specific thing as opposed to oh I'll go you know it's an experience day where you take some pictures of this and then there's a like, bit of you know take a few pictures of a bear in the zoo and then you go and do a picture of this girl stood next to a post and you know like it feels more like people are learning an actual aptitude a skill as opposed to i guess what i'm saying is they're taking more away from it than just doing the thing they're actually coming away with knowledge as well so they almost are getting the best of both worlds yeah um because as long as they retain the information they're actually buying something as well as doing something yeah that's that's really the most cool thing about it is that you you get something and you experience something yeah i mean that yeah um, to, to come back to your point about um, people thinking if you've got a certain style, it's, you know, maybe they think it's the only thing you can do. I mean, that's something that I have a kind of internal um, dialogue with myself about, you know, I kind of think, oh, you know, I produce work, which, which on the one hand has a kind of consistent look, but do people, 
do people think it's the only thing I can do? And when I think about that, I, I, I go back to the people, you know, the visual artists that I admire most, whether, whether that's somebody like Annie Leibovitz or, um, you know, Mark Seliger, or whether it's a painter like Rembrandt, um, you know, though, those people, they, although there is a kind of variety in their work, it still has a kind of look. And that's, that's really what I'm going for. You know, you will find people that say, well, you know, it all looks the same or Mozart's musical sounds the same or yeah. all of Iron Maiden's albums sound the same or whatever it might be. Um, but if you, you know, I think if you want to be known for something, it has to be like one thing. It has to be established as yeah. well. Yeah, you have to have not just done it a bit and then you can kind of do some side projects and, and come back to it periodically. It's, it is a thing you have to do. Yeah, and I think it's the same in, you know, if you think about team sports, for example, if you think about, I mean, I'm not a, by no means a football expert, but if you think about back when David Beckham was a, um, a professional footballer, he was known for, for taking corners. Yeah. You know, if you want a, an amazing corner, you know, Beckham's going to shoot the corner if you... Uh, and you know there are all kinds of examples that I think you could you could find in all areas of life. Yeah. Um, you know, be good at one thing. You yeah. Know, you, yeah. You, uh, instead of being jack of all trades. Yeah. It is that old phrase, and it's annoying when cliches are actually really accurate. Yeah, they are true. And I think the thing is when it's a when it's a service that people are paying money for. If you, um, I think if they if they weigh somebody who they perceive to be an expert against somebody who they think is quite good at it, or they can do five things, if they if they're going for a specific thing, I, you know, my sense is that they will they will go for the expert. Yeah, being purely practical. <laughs> yeah, and I think that the the people that will listen to Mozart and say that it's it all sounds the same aren't people that are ever going to appreciate that genre. Right. So listening to the opinions of people that are never even going to appreciate that genre is counterproductive to ever improving within that genre, if that makes sense. So mm. some people might say, okay, well, you know, you only play one type of music and I don't see the positives in that, but someone else who does really appreciate and, and listen, like not hear, but listen, mm. will appreciate more of the work that's gone in the nuances of what's created the piece, as opposed to just kind of taking it as a, a lump, and saying, yeah, you know, gave it a go. Didn't do anything for me. What else have you got? Yeah. And w there is this danger, I think, especially with creatives of always wanting to please everybody. Yeah. Um, how do you fight that? How do you, how do you, how do you, how do you not chase the metric of likes? Again, that is a very good question. Um, I don't, I honestly don't know. I think the, I think the most honest way that I can answer your question is that I, the work that I put out there is, uh, is kind of honest work. It's work that I believe in. It's work that I like. Um, it's work where I think I'm, uh, making a sort of true and flattering reflection of the person in the picture. And so if, you know, some people like those things, other people don't like those things. Um, I, uh, I think if you, if you chase likes, it's a race to the bottom and you end up producing, you know, tacky work or bad work or, and I, and to be honest with you, likes, uh, you know, social media likes, they don't really kind of count for anything. It's, it, it's flattery at the end of the day. If, you know, if 10 people like a picture or a hundred or a thousand or whatever it might be, it doesn't, um, you know, if, if that booked in the next job, 
you know, if I, if, if getting 200 likes on a picture booked a, a shoot in or what, whatever it might be, then yeah, fine. Okay. But well, it, you could take it down and cash in and pay the bills. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. it doesn't, it's just one, you know, likes and all the social stuff is just one facet of, you know, your marketing and your, the, the sort of front facing nature of, of your business. I think that there's a language, I'm very, Personally, away from photography, I'm very focused on language and the way that people structure what they're saying. Because I think even if people don't know they're doing it, there's always a deliberacy to the way that they create the sentences that they put out there. And I think social media is fantastically clever with a couple of things. It really harps on old religious context in our head. The idea that you have followers. The word followers, I think, is a very deliberate choice. Like a disciple, isn't it? Exactly. And I think people really see it that way. Maybe not, they don't see the biblical connection, but could you imagine meeting an adult on the street? So you're out and about and you see, oh, I know this, uh, there's a model I know. And you meet their their husband or their partner or whoever. And they say, oh, hi, I've got three and a half thousand friends. You just think, oh, he's a bit. Sounds mm, ridiculous. Yeah, it, it sounds a bit simple and a bit stupid and a bit almost a mean spirited in a sort of self aggrandizing sense. And the fact that the metric now for people is, well, I've got so many followers and I've got so many likes and I get this much interaction with, it's really, it's a bit gross to be justifying your existence in, in those numbers. Like, okay, so you've got, three and a half thousand or 10,000 or a hundred thousand or whatever people that follow your work or follow your Instagram. It's not even your work. They're literally following in the most convenient sense possible. So it's just, I think there's a whole language to it that I don't know. I don't know what the next stage is. Cause I, I, something I'm always obsessed with is, well, okay, so we're here, but what's next? Because, you know, with Facebook, there was the thing of like, how many friends do you have? And that was like when I was at I was at school, sort of around the time that Facebook was just starting, just as I was leaving, I think. And it was like, oh, how many friends do you have? It's very important you have lots of friends on Facebook because the more people you have, somehow that that does something to who you are as a person. And now it's followers, and I just think, well, what's the next step in the language? Like, is it disciples? You know, yeah. Do we call them the flock, or you know, what's the next step for people to? self-aggrandize and for for you to pay for the privilege to be self-aggrandizing mm. that's the it's just a very bizarre dynamic it is yeah i find the whole the whole thing very strange um so you photograph weddings as a primary and a secondary yeah so both yeah so i i i do several weddings a year i although i have them i have uh, weddings as a service advertised on my uh website and I, you know, and, and I enjoy doing them. I'm not in the, um, I don't really market it otherwise. So I'm not doing the wedding fairs and so on. Yeah. They're um, evil things. I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm not, a, I, I cannot, I, I hate wedding fairs. It's a cattle market for weddings. Mm. It's a bizarre, horrible, weird dynamic. And yeah. I think you get the wrong people. Right. You get people that are making snap decisions mm. and... Yeah. Yeah. So I don't do those. I mean, I do do a reasonable amount of uh, second shooting with yep. um, with a, an extremely talented wedding photographer. Um, and Would you I, like to give them a shout out? Yeah, it's point. Nikki Kirk. Okay. And she's um, she she's based in the Cheltenham and Gloucester area, and she's an incredibly talented 
photographer. I love working with her. It's a beautiful um, area to be photographing yeah, weddings as a- well. Absolutely. Um, and I, I mean, I have what I have a really nice wedding upcoming next year in Vermont. So it will be the first time that I've done that kind of travel for work. Which, yep. So it's uh, it's somebody that I've known for many years who, um, a friend who's marrying an American uh, an American lady. So that's that's why the wedding is, is in Vermont. So I'm hugely looking forward to that. It's a winter wedding, so there'll be proper snow. Yeah. Real, uh, an actual real winter. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I, I enjoy weddings, but not, not quite enough to to go into it hammer and tongs uh, with both feet. So, and I do- so, what do you find the differences though between being a primary and a secondary in in the way that you approach the day? I think, well, I think it's uh, I think it's psychological. I think when you're the primary shooter in the in the front of your mind, not even the back of your mind, in the front of your mind, you're thinking this is their 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 big day. It's um, it will hopefully only happen for them once um it's it's probably cost them an enormous amount of money yeah uh don't mess it up right um, that's in the front of every photographer's and is that what's stopping you from going two feet in no not at all i think i just prefer working in the studio it's not right, okay. um it's it, I, I absolutely don't have a, a a negative vibe about weddings at all I just prefer being in the studio. I mean, the, to be honest, being purely practical, the thing the, the thing about weddings, which is tough, is just being on your feet for like yeah, oh God, yeah. twelve or fourteen hours a day, and and then feeling what your legs feel like the next day. Well, we've it's- just hit three hundred and fifty weddings, roughly, that we photographed since we started. Wow! And I've now got an incredible burning pain in my left knee. And I'm starting, I feel like my kneecap is actually starting to separate slightly. So I'm probably going to have to have that looked at. And the, it's ridiculous because I'm like, well, I have to schedule some time in to get my knee fixed mm. so that I can keep doing the job that I'm doing. It, it's You are 100% right. The, uh, the thing I always say to clients when it comes to them, especially guys, especially grooms, sometimes are a bit apprehensive about the amount of money that goes into a wedding and things like photography is that you're not paying someone to take photos. You're paying someone to be alert when they're not. Mm. And the really good photographers, I think, are the ones that are alert when they're not taking photos, that they don't kind of go, all right, first kiss is done. I just switch off half hour now. It's straightforward. Done the groups, right? I can go, you know, I can go and have a fag and have a glass of wine. Yeah. I'm, I'm amazed with some of the second shooters I've had, how quickly they just kind of go, right, done. Yeah. No, you're absolutely right. I think the... Um some people kind of balk at the the idea of reportage photography at weddings and so on. I absolutely love that. Yeah. I I mean I like the formal stuff as well. Um but I think the uh, it's the moments that people uh, the I mean formals are nice for you to give to your grandmother to to frame and put on the mantelpiece and that type of thing. It's body count though, isn't it? It's what were they wearing were they there? Yeah. Um and I think for I think for the couples themselves it's the it's seeing their friends enjoying themselves, it's seeing their families you know, loving each other and everybody being together. Because there aren't, I mean, probably there aren't other events where pe- everyone in somebody's family gets there. No. And it's, you know, it's important for all of those kind of reasons. So, um, I mean, second shooting is, it, it, it is super important. And that, and the, the reportage stuff is mostly what I, uh, what, what I tend to do. As the second. Uh, as a second right. shooter. Uh, and I love doing that. And you have to, it's, you know, it's it's eyes on everybody absolutely all the time. Yeah. Um, and it's, I mean, I tend, what I tend to do is long lens second shooting. Right. Because um, 
People don't, people don't like having their photo taken. If they know you're there... They, By two lots of people as well. If you're the second shooter, the yeah. two of you doing it, that yeah. can be... If people know you're there, they start being weird or they start doing other things. And something that I've noticed, which is hugely annoying, is when, if people become aware of you, they turn your they turn their back to you. Yeah. And the... Uh, I, under, you know, I understand it. I get it that, you know, people feel a little awkward being photographed. But part of me wants to kind of say, look, your hosts have paid me a lot of money to take these pictures for your hosts. Yeah. Now, just play ball, please. Oh, do you know, it's so funny. I had a wedding just, but we went on holiday a couple of weeks ago and the day before we flew out, I had a wedding um, in Kent. I'm guessing off the top of my head. It was a good wedding. It was a nice day. They had Star Wars people there, which I'm not really a Star Wars fan. I don't really like the same film five, six, seven times in a row, (laughs) but... Um, that'll be the majority of comments I get for this now. But uh, it was a lovely day and everything, but there was these two guys doing exactly what you're saying. So they're chatting to each other. I'm I'm an 85, so I'm nowhere near them. And I'm doing a, a wide full body of the two of them, plus some context around them. And they both turn. And I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm not giving up. So <laughs> I've worked my way around. I'm shooting some other people. And I basically do like a big C shape and go around to the other side. And they turn around again. And I was like, I'm going to call them on it. So I walked, as I walked past them, I walked straight through and I said to them, I'm going to get you. <laughs> like, you can do this all day long. I, I will last longer than you and you're drinking alcohol. So I'm going to be more alert. Yeah. And I got them within about 10 minutes because at that point they were, they were aware that it wasn't a big deal to have a photograph of them standing around chatting. It's amazing what people are apprehensive over. Yeah. We actually have a system. So me and Jamila photograph weddings together. And the majority of the uh, candid stuff that um, makes the cut happens after the sort of group and couple photos, but before the meal. Yeah. So that's like, that. the, the Americans call it like cocktail hour yeah, or yeah. whatever you want to call that. That's where the majority of our good candid stuff comes from. Jamila does it. Because by the time I've done the groups and I've had to shepherd however many people, they're very aware of me as a photographer. But the majority of guests haven't acknowledged that Jamila's carrying a camera because she's just helping me get people together. So then they're aware of me as a photographer, so they're not going to calm down and act naturally. That's where Jamila does a lot of the a lot of the the capturing of natural moments, and it's just silly little psychological thinkings like that that have jumped my work or our work the overall end product hugely because you get so much more natural stuff just by thinking i'm actually quite annoying to these people at this point because i've just (laughs) i've just kept them here for 15 minutes while i do some groups yeah so i need to not annoy them anymore i'll go do something that doesn't rely on um, not paying attention to me. I'll go photograph the wedding breakfast room or I'll photograph the rings or whatever and Jamila can get the natural stuff. Yeah, be the ninja. Be the ninja, exactly. Yeah. I think I think when you're doing wedding photography, I think one of the uh, one of the kind of dichotomies in, you know, one of the things that you come up against is people want amazing photos of their wedding um, but often don't want to do the, you know, they have to be posed and it's, I think in order for things to not look set up, sometimes you have to do setting up. Yeah. Um, and I think they, you know, that can be one of the difficulties. Um, I think it's, but again, that's all part of communication, isn't it? I think if people know from the outset that there's going to be, you know, if you say it's going to be half an hour of shooting to get your pictures, you know, <laughs> yeah. sometimes people go for it and sometimes they don't. Yeah. But it's, um, well, we find generally speaking, and obviously every couple is different, 
but I am almost a caricature of myself on the day. So I am very deliberate with when I talk and when I don't talk. So in bride prep, when I first arrive, I talk. I'll not only talk to the bride, but I'll actually have a chat with like the makeup artist and we talk about, I like to talk about other weddings. Maybe not, I don't let the truth get in the way of a good story. <laughs> and we'll talk about other weddings we've had where something hilarious happened or this happened or that happened. And, we, you know, you get a bit friendly with the other vendors. The bridesmaids are then like, oh, wait, what happened? So you get talking to the bridesmaids. You're like, right, now I've got you for the groups because we've now spoken to each other. So when it comes to the groups, you can't pretend you don't know who I am. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's good. And then when it gets to the ceremony, obviously I'm not going to be chatting to him through the ceremony, but right before I go over, I make sure the groom hasn't got his enormous Samsung phone in his front pocket because that drives me absolutely right. me. Make sure his tie is straight. And it doesn't matter if his tie is really straight, I go and straighten his tie and just say, if you need us for anything, just let us know. I'm going to move that out of the way. Don't forget to turn around. Right. And and then you kind of you've you've planted a seed a little bit without being too like go over and go, excuse me, make sure you look at her when she walks in, all right? Because I need that photo. Yeah. It's a way of kind of getting them to do it. And then when it comes to the group photos, which is where I become almost a caricature. So Jamila's half Arabic. Me too. Oh really? Such a weird coincidence, yeah. Okay. So <laughs> oh she she's got her doing that. We could have done like a multi multilingual one. Um so um so Jamila's half Arabic and uh I come from a family that is German by sort of a, a few generations back, but I play up as if I'm half German. People that listen to this are going to be quite annoyed by that. <laughs> um, so I play up as if I'm half German. So we have this dynamic of basically casual racism towards each other. <laughs> so Jamila will make a joke about me being half German. I'll make a joke about, her, you know, her dad being Arabic or whatever. And there's almost that kind of like, oh, we're not just doing photos. It's not just look at each other like you are in love and are thinking about your future. We, we'll, if you get a laugh in the photo, you get people to naturally laugh and you've posed other parts, like hands especially, like mm. you say. That photo will go down with other people as, oh, it was such a beautiful moment. They were so in love. And it's like, well, you know, I was making a joke about Jamila wearing a backpack, but okay, that's fine. You know, she was making a joke about, you know, windowless trains or whatever. So it's just one of those things where if you can get a laugh or you can get a reaction out of people when you have to, if you mm. can get a natural one, that's the way to go. Yeah. I think um, my favourite part about photographing weddings is just the fact that every single day you've got a different boss. Mm. And it's really interesting to just people watch. And the reportage style of photography is... I'm sorry I say it very commonly. I'm from... Not at I'm, all. I know you say reportage. <laughs> I can't say that without sounding like I'm being sarcastic. <laughs> but it's very fulfilling because you watch and you watch and you watch and you're like, I know it's coming. I know there's a moment coming. I know these... Like, I know there's going to be like... I can hear the joke coming. You listen. Do you find yourself listening to like the cadences of people talking? Absolutely. Like, there's a joke coming here. Here comes the punchline. There it is. And you get the photo. And that's a really fulfilling thing. Yeah, absolutely. And I think what you're saying about kind of lying in wait for the shot is very... I mean, I used to do a bit of street photography just for fun. Uh, and I think it's the same It's the same kind of thing, isn't it? Oh, if you want to be a wedding photographer and you can't get booked for a wedding, go and photograph street photography with an objective. Mm. Go out and photograph street photography and, and create a, a narrative series mm. where the photos are telling a story. Yeah. Because street photography is wedding photography without a bride and groom. Yeah, absolutely. It's exactly the same thing. Yeah. And I think, yeah. I mean, same skills involved, I think, to get, uh, you know, all of the, the kind of killer street 
photographers that I love, they, I think for every, you know, every keeper that they, they get, they, they must have a hundred, a hundred duds. Um, it's, it's so tough. Um, but yeah, lying in wait with, with, you know, with your, with your wedding shooting is, is key. Yeah. It's, it's, um, it's one of the, uh, the really, it's the fulfilling part of it. Right. Mm. So you, I know with almost any couple, I've had maybe five or six over the 350 that we photographed where it was just like pulling teeth. Mm. They, they, there was either an argument going on underneath the surface that we didn't know about or that, you know, we didn't know the details of that you, we couldn't get through to get those nice couple photos because there was something else going on. Something else was on the back of people's minds. But the majority of the time, I, I really don't worry about when you give me a bride and a groom or a bride and a bride or a groom and a groom about how to get that reaction out of them. Because once you get them on their own and they're married and all the tension's gone and they're calmed down, you can talk to them and you yeah. can you can pull that stuff out really easily. But the moments you have no control over, and it all comes down to your ability to track a situation and track people and then execute the photo. And the most frustrating thing in the world to me is when there was an amazing moment that I just didn't nail the photo the way I wanted it to. Exactly. Um, yeah. That's that's always been the part of when I'm going through the photos, I'm just like, oh, that's that's a waste. Mm. That's a real shame. Um, so we need to tell everybody who you are and where they can find all of your amazing work. Okay. Well, I'm uh, David Shukri. Um, my my amazing work. Well, you find it in two places. I have I have two websites for the two strands of my business. So my my portfolio is at uh, davidshukri.com and that is where all of my what I consider to be my best work, my best current work is. Um, my consumer website, which is where my um, my stuff for workshops, the various. Uh, software I make, you know, family photography and that type of stuff. That's Englishphotoworks.com. And my Instagram is EPWphoto. Amazing. I honestly I appreciate it so much for you coming in. I'm a huge fan and this has been a really cool chat. No, it's a pleasure to finally meet you. Thank you. Lovely. Lovely.